thank Gary for leading us in great singing, and I appreciate your singing, your participating in that. It's wonderful to hear you sing this morning. Um, I really, I don't know if the words enjoy, I, I, I got a lot out of uh, what John and Johnny shared with us, and I don't know if you have realized that many times people, are, uh, the people up here are father and sons. It's been arranged on purpose, and I think that's wonderful to have father and son up here sharing uh, at the Lord's uh, Supper uh, thoughts. Uh, one of the things that they said was, um, we're changing our names, changing homes, and that's one of the things we see in, in 1 John, is a word that's used throughout there throughout 1 John over and over, that talks about us being at home, our place, our abode. And we've pointed that out several times, and we'll continue to do that. Um, I'm thinking about little Johnny, who used to be up to my hip when I first knew him, and now I look up to him. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I can look up to him in a spiritual way, too. Uh, got a text from John Canterbury, and he said uh, he's in Joelton, which I think is in Tennessee. And he said, the preacher is preaching on First John. <laughs> he can't get away from it. <laughs> And I can't either. It's, it's a marvelous book. If you'll turn over to chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 12 and 13. I'm going to read 11, 12, and 13. Where he says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers. If the world hates you. One thing I was thinking about as I looked at this passage here is what does God want from his children? Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, this is how great the Father's love is, that he calls us his children. We are children of God. And so I thought, well, what do I want from my children? What do I want of my children, especially as they, grow, uh, as they were growing up? And what did my parents want of me? And I guess we could say it in one word, behave. Wants you to behave. How many times were you told that? You know, as human parents, we ask our children to behave, and it could mean a variety of different things. It could mean, you know, being a good citizen when they grow up, obedient, you know, obeying their, their parents, doing their chores, as John asked Johnny, you know, do you do these things? You know, what, what's your attitude in doing these things? So it includes a responsibility in a variety of ways. But if you were to find one word, and I, I guess I like this, what is one word that will describe, what's one word that describes the, pop, uh, the, the proper behavior that directs your course of life? What, if we could choose a word for our children, would it be behave or would it be another uh, word? God, who is our Heavenly Father, has a word. And He states that word how he wants his children to behave. It's in chapter 3, verse 11, and we looked at that a moment ago, where he says, this is the message. And that word there is, this is God's good news. This is God's news. Now, I want you to, to think for a moment, as I was sitting there listening to the different people, uh, the different words in the uh, singing, and with John and Johnny sharing with us, I was, I was thinking about, Cain, as we'll, we'll see him in a moment, he heard the word of God verbally. 
God spoke to him. And it just went right over his head. He didn't listen to God. And sometimes we sit here and think, you know, if God were to speak to me, I would, I would know. God is. And it's not the people up here speaking. When John and Johnny were sharing from God's Word, as I won't say little Johnny, as big little Johnny was reading God's Word. Were we listening to God's Word? Or have we become so used to it that it just kind of, we just go with it? How many of us right now, and I don't want you to feel really guilty, I don't want, you know, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you, but are you texting right now? No? Oops. <laughs> if you are, I'm not condemning you. But I'm just saying, you know, we're looking at God's Word here. What does it say? Are we listening to it? Are we serious about this? And I have to say that to myself because a lot of times I, I do the same thing. All right? I'll listen and, and the words are being read and I'll start thinking about, you know, fishing or something. You know, my, I don't know. Your mind just goes off sometimes. But here God's word. God spoke to Cain and just wasn't listening to him. And he says, here's the message. Here's God's news. And there's a little word here. That, that states purpose. And some of your translations will say that. The NIV doesn't even translate it. But it says, here is the message. That. Here's the purpose. You love one another. If God were to choose one word and say, now this is the word that I want you to think about as, you, as, you, as, as, as far as God, my message, how I want you to act. He says, it's word. That word is love. A few weeks ago, I said I've counted 35 times where this word is used. And if you took notes, you're going to need to change your notes now, okay? Because I said, if I remember correctly, five times in the first half of the letter, the word is used, and 30 times in the second half. And I said that was my, my uh, count. I may be wrong. I went back and recounted, okay? This may not be right either, because, but I just counted it again 46 times. I missed 11 times because I, read, I was reading too fast, I guess. Seven times in the first part of the book and what does that leave? 39 times in the second part, second half. This word is used over and over. So it's essential that we find out, well, what does this mean? God says, this is the message. I want you to love one another. So what does that mean? How do I define that? How do I define God love? How do I define what kind of love God desires of me? And so we're letting John, in his writing here, define it. We're letting God define it for us in his word. And I find it interesting that he does not say, this is the message that you love God. I would expect that. That's what I would expect from a human writing. Here's the message that we are to love God. And that is true. We are to love God, obviously. But he says, this is the news. You are to love one another. This is the practical way you show love for God. Because later on we're going to find out as we read about this in the fourth chapter, I believe. It's easy to say, it's easy to say, I love God. It's subjective. It's abstract. It's intangible. God's wherever you imagine him to be. But God calls us to concrete, personal, tangible love that actually reveals to you and to other people if you really love God. And it's in the faces you see around you, your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how you show love. This is how you show your love for God. And I'll tell you what, you know it. It's difficult love. 
We're going to find out more about this later, but that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we really see what love is. That's where our test is given. Do I love God? Well, how am I doing with my brothers and sisters? I once spoke to a man about his attendance. He hadn't attended for months. You know, it's always a little bit, you know, you're like jumping into hot water when you approach someone about something that maybe they're not doing right. And I was talking to him about his attendance, and you know, his response was this. You can't tell me I don't love God. And I thought, I didn't say that. I never said anything about his love for God. I was just talking about his gathering, coming into the gathering. He had been missing for months. And his response is, you can't tell me I don't love God. And I, I say, well, I'm not saying that. But, you know, I got thinking about it. He's right. That's a, that's a tangible expression. He was being convicted of his lack of love for God when I spoke about his lack of love for one another. And it convicted him. And he, he was angry with me. How can you say you love God? And ignore your brothers and sisters. So John begins, he begins to define this for us. And he says, all right, I want you to love, love one another, but not like Cain. You know, Cain could have claimed a personal relationship with God. You ever realize that? Talk about people say, you know, I love God. I have a personal relationship with God. I think Cain did. (laughs) He's actually speaking to him. I think he has a pretty personal relationship with him. But his, his actions were the antithesis of love. He's the opposite extreme of love. And so John is looking at this and saying, don't love like that. We'd all agree that murder is, is not love. But then we quickly forget how that li- all the things that led to, to that murder. And it's there we often find ourselves. We haven't taken life, but we've walked down Cain's Road a certain distance. We haven't murdered, but we become defensive when we do wrong, and we become critical of others who are doing right. We internalize our sins. We become angry. We become bitter. And John says, do not be like that. Don't be like Cain. We turn a deaf ear to teachings, warnings, encouragements. We're critical of the messenger, and we don't listen to the message. You ever find yourself doing that? Don't be like that, John says. Do not be like Cain. Because all that leads to self-centeredness. It leads to lies, lying to others, lying to ourselves. It leads to excuses. It leads to pity parties which, in which we're the only participants. Poor me. No one understands what I've gone through. If they had gone through what I went through, then they'd understand. They can't understand me. You know, when I, when I was thinking about that, I, this is going to date me. 1971, The Who. Anyone know who that is? Yeah, all right, good. We've got a few old people here. Do you remember the song, Behind Blue Eyes? I'll sing it for you. No. <laughs> no I'll, I'll quote part of it. No one knows what it's like to be the... Bad man, to be the sad man, behind blue eyes. All right, there's one part in there that says, no one knows what it's like to feel these feelings like I do. And I blame you. That's what he says. You don't remember that? Some of you might. 
Some of you are too old to remember that. But that's what he, you know, that whole song, which is a pity party song to me anyway. But no one knows what it's like to feel the feelings I feel, and I blame you. And that's what Cain did. No one understands. And he blamed Abel. Don't be like that, John says. Don't be like Cain. That's not love. And we've been called love one another. When we pause and think about this story, it should, it should just, you know, kind of wake us up. It's a bewildering tale. Here we have Cain and Abel, big, a big brother and little brother. Brothers. You ever grow? I, I was the big brother in our family. I have two little brothers. I'm the big brother. And they, you know, there's a sense they look up to you for a while, you know, because you're bigger than them. You can do things. You have to protect them. You have to take them places. They admire you because, wow, you can run faster than they can. You're older. You're taller. You're stronger. And there's this natural brotherly love that you have. But as it grew into adulthood, it degenerated, at least on the part of Cain, to murder. Hate on his side. So John points this out and he says, I want, to, I want you to look at Cain's motivation and then it's going to tie to the world's motivation and then next week it's going to tie to our motivation. So we're going to look at Cain's motivation to murder. Why did, how, how did he get that far? How did he go down that road so far? Brothers who love each other to, brother, to a brother who hates his brother. And so John asked the question, and why did he murder him? And you'd expect things like, well, he hated him. He was jealous of him. Uh, he was angry. He did it out of anger. And all those must have been factors of why he, why he murdered him. But that's not the root. What's the root? Let's get down to what is the real reason that he did that. And then we have to be careful because this speaks to us. It, it shows us how we think sometimes. First, this is based in how Cain identified himself. And if you look at this passage here, it says, Who belonged, do not be like Cain, who belonged... To the evil one. That's how he identified himself. That word be, belonged to the evil one. It's not so much that Cain did bad things, although he did bad things, but he was operating out of the source of his, he was operating out of his source, out of his origin. And that word belonged to the evil one comes from a really a revealing word that I'm not going to get into, but it's a revealing word that's used several times in John's gospel, it's used several times in this letter. Where it means this is the source, that word belong. This is the source. This is his origin. This is where he is thinking from, coming from. And that's why he says he's belonged to the evil one. Cain's direction in life didn't come from God, but it came from the devil. There's a, a writing, you can look it up on the internet. It's called a targum, which is it's just, it's the rabbis, as they explain scripture, it's kind of like a commentary it was kind of a paraphrase, a mixed commentary and a paraphrase. And there's one called Pseudo-Jonathan on Genesis. And he quotes uh, Cain as saying this. There is no judgment. There is no judge. There is no other world. There is no gift of good reward for the righteous and no punishment for the wicked. Now, whether he actually said those words or not, I, 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 I doubt but that was his attitude. This, this was his faithless attitude. He looked at it and said, you know, there's no reward for good. There's no punishment for the There's no judge. I mean, God spoke to him and said, look, if you do right, it will be right with you. And he's like, mm, I don't care. What kind of attitude is that? Faithless. He didn't believe God himself. Brushed him off. 
believing only in himself and loving only himself, unknowingly he's operating out of the evil one. That's his identity. That's who he identified himself with. And here's the thing. This is the way the world is. He thought he was operating out of his own person. He was his own man. Uh, no one can tell me what to do. Have you ever used that word, those words? No one can tell me what to do. Mm-mm. That's operating out of the evil one. And we do that. It just sneaks up on us. But this is the way life is. Yes, you are, someone is telling you what to do, and it is the evil one. Second reason he murdered his brother was because of Abel's righteousness, it says. Abel's, Cain's um, actions, why did he murder him? His own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Cain's action was evil. This is a deliberate, active evil. It's a, de- a deliberate, active defiance. And that's why I'm saying when, when God told Cain, do this and everything will be right, you know, why, why, you know, lift your countenance, you know, that sins at the door. And God is instructing him, encouraging him, and he just deliberately defies him. This kind of evil has no regard for others. It's only focused on, on himself. He did what he wanted. No one told him what to do except Satan, and he didn't know it. And so as Abel's actions brought to light his evil, he reacted to it. John chapter 3 really brings this out. John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. This is the verdict, Jesus says. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. That's, that's what's happening here with Cain. He didn't like the light. It's like, have you ever been in a dark room? You've been in a dark room. I don't know, maybe you have a migraine headache or something. The room's dark. And someone opens the door and it's, a, and it's really bright. It's a sunshine comes in. What do you do? You put your hands over your eyes. And, oh, man, you know, turn off the light. Or, you know, turn on the light in the middle of the night. Boom, you know, that light, bright light. Just kind of like, oh. You know, and that's what he's saying here. He says our the evil doesn't like the light when it exposes because it exposes themselves. Say, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. That, that's wrong. So John then directs, directly relates this from Cain's motive to the world's motive because he wants to get practical now. You know, the, the story of Cain and Abel, we often read it. We're taught it as a history as a, as a history story. And that's fine. It's wonderful when you're in first grade, second grade, and you start learning these stories. That's what we're doing. We're just kind of telling the story. This is what happened. This is what happened Cain and Abel. This is what happened with Adam and Eve and so on, uh, Abraham. We're getting the history. But it's more than history. There's some practical application here. And so he says, John just slides into the world's motivation. He says, I'm going to show you some practical application to what's going on with Cain here. I'm going to show it what happens in the world here. And he starts out by saying, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. You know, sometimes we Christians can be so naive. We really can. I won't go there. Jesus, Jesus instructed and warned us in this matter. He said this way in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 10. 
verse 16, be shrewd or be wise, some translations say, as serpents. Many of you have heard this. And be harmless or be as innocent as doves. We get that backwards sometimes. We're wise as doves and as innocent as serpents. But he says, no, I want you to be as wise or as shrewd as a serpent. Who was the serpent? A very shrewd serpent, Satan. He said, I want you to be as, as shrewd as a serpent, but innocent, wise as a dove. Later on, and he tells this interesting parable. Read it at, uh, later on, Luke chapter 16. He tells this really interesting parable. And he ends it by saying, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. He says, you know, sometimes you, you go out in the world, and the people out in the world, they deal with their own kind in a better way than the people of light do. And I think what he's saying is, wise up here. Get smart. Think about it. We walk through the world, walk through life. We do the nice thing. We do the right thing. We try to help other people. And we get kicked in the teeth. And we're surprised. Well, I didn't do anything to do to deserve that. Uh, what, why, why, did, why, why is this happening to me? We've all asked that question, haven't we? Why is this happening to me? And John here says, wise up. Were you living out of your righteousness? I'm not talking about your personal righteousness, but I'm talking about the righteousness of Christ. Were you walking in the light? Were you walking in the love of God? Don't be surprised if the world butchers you. That's what he says. Abel, what did he do wrong? What, was he making fun of Cain when he was offering his sacrifice? No, he was just doing the right thing. He was taking the sacrifice in the way that God said to do it. He was offering it in the right way. He was doing it in faith. And he got killed for it. He wasn't putting Cain down. He wasn't saying, Cain, you're wrong, I'm right. He was just doing the right thing. And we go through history, and the examples are numerous. We could spend hours going over the examples over and over how, how this happens multiple times. And so uh, Peter, he warns us also. He says the same thing. Uh, he says, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the uh, painful trial you are suffering I like this. As though something strange were happening to you. We, we switch this around and we think it's strange that bad things happen to us, that we're persecuted when we're doing the right thing. And Peter says, hey, don't be surprised at that. That's not a strange thing. That's the way the world operates. Two quick illustrations. I don't have a television. All right. But I hear enough to know that Tim Tebow has suffered a lot of persecution. I think it's because of, is it called Tebowing? Used to. I know he doesn't play anymore. Okay, I know that. I'm dated here. But I, he used to get down on the knee and pray before a game. And he was just trashed for doing that. For praying. And then we have another athlete. And I don't even want to mention his name or what he did. And he gets a courage award. Because he changed his sex. Something's wrong with that picture. It is. It is. It's wrong. But don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at that. Why are we surprised at that? Why are we shocked that someone who tries to demonstrate his faith publicly is trashed and then someone who is 
performs a perversion is praise. Don't be surprised. Right now, uh, you know, I don't know all the details of this bathroom thing that you... I, I know I have two little granddaughters, and when I'm out in places and I have to bring them to the bathroom, I know I'll get in trouble if I walk in the women's bathroom with them. But there's some things going on there. When we start saying, hey, th- that's wrong, we will be saying, well, you're just intolerant. Uh, you're just, you just, you're a hater. That's hate speech. Because I'm saying, I don't want men going into the women's bathroom and vice versa. Something's wrong with that picture. Don't be surprised, he says. But don't be surprised. We act surprised. That's what we should expect. This is the way the world is. The world's messed up. Speak out for doing right in, in, in a minor way in your workplace. You go to work and you say, you know, that's not right. Just, just say that to your boss. See what happens. And I mean, be right. All right. Don't be arrogant. But if it's something you're right about and you say, you know, that's, that's just wrong. We, we can't do that. Just see what happens. You'll feel the wrath of the world. It's crazy. Do not be surprised, he says. It's going to happen. John 15, verse 18, Jesus said this. If the world hates you, and sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. If the world hates you, he says, keep in mind. Jesus says this. Keep in mind this. It hated me first. That's exactly right. So why are we so surprised if he hates the, if the world hates the purest person, the person that was never wrong, the person that never did anything wrong? Why are we so shocked when it persecutes us and sometimes we are wrong? Sometimes we don't live right. You know, righteous behavior fuels hatred in the world toward the righteous. The world hates righteousness, but not necessarily the fruits of righteousness. Have you noticed this? To a degree, the world likes kindness, honesty, patience, gentleness. But to, when it's directed toward them personally. But you know, they'll even abuse that. They'll abuse kindness. They'll uh, abuse honesty, patience. That word hate, by the way, mean, doesn't mean just emotionally hating someone, okay? It means actively opposed. They'll be actively opposed to you. Be kind, guess what? You're going to be taken advantage of. Have you ever done that? You do something kind and you help somebody and they take advantage of you? That's the world. Be honest, you're going to be laughed at. Exercise patience, people will believe you're a pushover. Don't be surprised. That's the way the world operates. And so we have to wake up to the fact that something is fundamentally and radically wrong with this world. It is an upside-down world. When the apostles started teaching about Jesus, you know what the world said about them? The world said, you are turning the world upside down. They weren't turning the world upside down. They're turning it right side up. And they're all confused, like, because they've been upside down for so long. And I'm not talking about just the bad things of the world. Oh, we'd all agree murder and terrorism is wrong, drugs, pornography, alcohol, things like that. Oh, yeah, that's wrong. But, you know, everything the world touches, it infects. It includes art, culture, medicine, science, education, industry, 
And before you disagree, let me explain. You know, we'd all agree, you know, the illegal drug dealer, he's on this side. It's a really wrong thing. It's never right to do that. But on this side, you know, business, um, education, that's good. And somewhere in the middle, we start having arguments of at what point does the bad, you know, do we move over to the bad? It's all infected by the world, by evil. The Bible, and especially 1 John, really marks this out. says there's light and there's darkness. There's no gray. He never talks about the gray. He talks about light and darkness. And you can take any one of the good things of the world, the good things I talked about. Medicine is a good thing. Business is a good thing. Education is a good thing. But without the direct influence of godly men and women, it will quickly de- degenerate into something evil. I can list universities that began on the foundation of godly men and women who said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to uphold God and these principles. And when those people died and someone took their place, slowly those institutions went down. And some of our most ungodly institutions in this nation were once the most godly. Why? That's the world, way the world operates. That's what happens. It infects it. Unless we are careful, unless we focus on what we're doing, that's what, that what, that's what happens to us. That's what happens to the world. The natural trend is to move towards Satan, not God. We don't cease working in hospitals or businesses and education. We don't cloister ourselves away from that. John says we are to be in the world but not of the world. It's infected and we need to realize that. And because... The world is under the influence of the evil one. It will hate the righteous. And so we Christians have to be salt. Salt-like influence. We are flavoring the world. We're making it a little better. We're, we're preserving it as salt does. You know, I believe the world would be utterly destroyed if it wasn't for the last 2,000 years of Christianity. I think Jesus came at the right time. To give enough salt to this world to preserve it just a little bit longer. And without that, I, you know, I've tried to imagine what would the world be like if Jesus had not come? What would have been the natural progression? I can only think of destruction, total destruction, without the influence of, of, of Christ. The more the righteous, the, the more the righteousness, the more hatred will grow. And so, do not be surprised. Go out in the world to, uh, today, tomorrow. And you realize as you go out and you live your, out your righteousness, don't be surprised if you're, if you're persecuted. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, talks about being light in the dark world. He says, children of God, we are children of God without fault in a crooked and a depraved generation. He's not just talking about his generation. That's us today. Are we not crooked? Are, are we not messed up as a generation? Are we not depraved? Do I need to go back and get some more examples of depravity in our, in our culture? I can go into Planned Parenthood and look at the depravity there. That's where we are. And he says, but as children of God in this crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. Oh, we're not the, we're not the, we're not the sun. We don't shine that brightly. But we're points of light all over. A bunch of us together. Points of light. Points of beauty. We're stars that shine out in this universe as we hold up. Now, it's not because of us. As we hold up the word of life. 
And so you hold that up, we're like stars shining. But as you do that, don't be surprised when you're, when you're persecuted. In our next lesson, we're going to continue to see how this motivation is played out, motivation uh, in the area of love. Cain's motivation was not love, but hate. He actively opposed Abel's righteous behavior because his origin, his source, what he operated out of, whether he knew it or not, and I don't think he really was aware of it, he operated out of, out of, out of Satan, out of the devil. The world's motivation when it comes in contact with God love is also hate. It will hate us. The world will always actively oppose righteousness. Next, we're going to see the Christian's motivation to love. So why do we love? What motivates us toward God, God love? You're allowed to cheat. You're allowed to read forward. Read the next verse. All right? And you'll start seeing the motivation that we're going to have toward God love. Let me give you a little side note. We looked at Genesis. Looked at the story of Cain and Abel. And we see a lot of firsts in, in uh, Genesis. That's what it means, the beginning. A lot of firsts there. First man, first woman, first sin, first child, first murder. But one thing you might not have thought of, there's a first for Abel, too. You know, Abel was the first person, we always say killed. Abel was the first person who entered paradise. You ever thought of that? No, no other human had ever entered into whatever happens right after we're, we die. We go to be with the Lord, uh, Paul says. We enter into paradise. Whatever that realm is. You know, Abel was the very first to enter that realm. Isn't that neat? I wonder what he thought as he entered that. He's like, oh, should have come here sooner. <laughs> Wish that would have happened to me sooner. You know, I th- as growing up, I think of Abel and I think badly. You know, think... His situation. And I think, well, his life was cut short. Poor person. Never got married. Didn't have children. Didn't have a full life. I wonder how long he lived. You know, all these other people were living 900 years. I don't know if he lived 100 years or whatever. <clears throat> Yet he entered paradise before anyone else. Person of faith. Abel, uh, the book of uh, Hebrews says, now I want you to look at Abel and I want you to be like him. He says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks. He still speaks to us, even though he's dead. His faith continues to speak. Hebrews encourages us to follow that example of faith. Are you that type of faith? Do you have that type of faith? If you're a Christian, I believe you do. You have that faith. That faith, you just need to exercise it. And if you're outside of Christ, you don't have that faith, it's a good time to come into Christ, exercise that faith. You know, if, if um, many of you have written those cards, that's great. If you need to talk to our elders, our elders are going to come up here in a moment as Gary leads us in this song. And you can express your faith wherever it is at this point in your life. If you want to come into Christ, repenting of your sins, being immersed into Him, it's a good opportunity to do that. If you need to express your faith in repentance to uh, to fellow brothers and sisters, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.